Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Basby. And I'm Paul Ponte. This week, we are wrapping up our look at the Disney Renaissance, at least the first half of the Disney Renaissance. But really, if we're really going to break it down and by sub-categories and, and, and sub-eras... Truly, when we think of this era of Disney animated movies and musicals, we think of the four movies that we have covered this month, obviously starting with The Little Mermaid, then Beauty and the Beast, then Aladdin, and really wrapping things up, culminating with 1994's The Lion King. It's, in a lot of ways, this kind of did mark the end of an era for Disney animation. And sure, you know, and I'm sure there's lots of people who, your favorites, you know, you will stan, uh, you know, Mulan or me personally. I love Hunchback of Notre Dame, the very first movie we ever covered on here. Uh, Hercules, whatever it may be. But I think when you think of this era, those are the four movies you think of as the ones that define it, that stand out, and are the best of the best. And I think... Uh, and this might be bias, since it is my favorite of these movies, to say, I do think this is the peak of those movies. I think this is the one that, uh, all, a lot of other ones have had musical adaptations, but this is the one that sp- spawned like a phenomenon yeah. of musical adaptation. It it spawned like everything. I felt like this, really, even above like Aladdin, which was the one that came the closest, like this one really like, it is the tip top. This is this represents the Disney Renaissance, and it also represents the changing of the guard, as far as so much computer uh, help in with the two D animation, along with that. Yeah, it is such a marker. It's like a line of demarcation of like where we were to where we're gonna go, because not only from Disney's perspective, just like literally. There was a huge changing of hands at the top level of Disney that we're going to get into in a little bit. But, like, it's 1994. What comes out a year later is Toy Story. And it completely changes the game. Now, obviously, things that come after Lion King, obviously Pocahontas, their own movie and more Disney musicals. But then, like, DreamWorks comes along right after this because Jeffrey Katzenberg leaves and Prince of Egypt and, and stuff like that. And you have Anastasia from Fox. Like, they're, they're, they are trying to emulate the Disney style from years after this. And, yeah, you're right. Lion King is kind of the one because all uh, the other three had been crazy successful. But, like... Lion King was, uh, for lack of a better term, I apologize for the pun, it was a beast. It just, like, it took over. And everybody saw Lion King. Everybody knew Lion King. Uh, it was the biggest movie of the year and the biggest thing Disney's ever done up until... Uh, I was going to say, it's across- almost a billion-dollar movie. Yeah, just a shade under a billion. If you want to adjust for inflation, it is a billion-dollar movie, I believe. Um, which I think it made because it had the 3D re-release, it got closer to that billion-dollar mark. But it's true. even still, like it was a behemoth. But yeah, like I said, there was so so a few things happen before, after, like during the production of this movie, or just as this movie's about to come out. Um, one, obviously, a very tragic moment of, of Frank Wells, who was the president, COO of Disney, comes in with Michael Eisner completely changes 
everything about the Walt Disney Company, gets it back on its feet, puts it back at the forefront of Disney animation and, and um, really everything. He passes away in a, what it was, I believe, a helicopter accident, just an awful, awful moment for the company's history. Um, he dies. They lose leadership. Jeffrey Katzenberg thinks, oh, now's my chance to, if anybody's going to get promoted, it's me. Doesn't get promoted. Apparently, Roy Disney didn't like him. Um, Roy Disney, by the way, I didn't realize this about the Katzenberg stuff. So that means that Roy Disney had his hand in not only bringing down Katzenberg, but bringing down Michael Eisner many years later. Yep. This, this guy was never happy. <laughs> No, he really wasn't. I guess it kind of like when you are the last person who is actually who holds the Disney name that works at the Walt Disney Company. I understand being a little protective, maybe a mm. little overprotective, you know, but man, like that's a yeah, brought down the two guys who essentially single handedly saved the studio. It's pretty, pretty damning. Um, yeah, so uh, I think I had a quote here, too, about what Roy Disney said. Uh, if, oh, yeah, he said, quote, if you make him president, I will start a proxy fight. And then they reach a boiling point. 1994, like, just after the movie comes out, uh, Eisner forces Katzenberg out. Katzenberg goes starts DreamWorks. So it's really the end uh, of everything here for, for Disney. You know, obviously, the first movie made without Howard Ashman, too. So it's in so many ways, like things could have gone a lot like it just it, it's kind of insane that all of that happens right after this or just before it. And yet they produce the biggest movie they've ever made. And by some measures, maybe the best movie that the studio ever made during this era. It's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. It is. And it's so funny, like everything that that, that you mentioned, like. Ashman's gone. So what do they do? They're like, boom, Elton John, baby. Like, it's just everything like came into place. Like everything that the more you talk about, like the more it seems like it should have failed. It's kind of like all this stuff was going on. You know, Ashman's gone. It's like, oh, well, what's going to happen now? And then. Yeah, they lose leadership. Obviously, one, a, a tragic death. Another one, a struggle for power at the top. Um, that comes afterwards, but still, you there, there's probably the inklings of that as this movie is ramping up to being released. So there was a lot of internal struggles going on, and on top of it all, there is the ultimate internal struggle of this movie that it was constantly regarded as that other movie we're working on. No one gave a shit about this mm. movie. Like Little Mermaid was a big thing for the was getting us back into the classic fairy tale mode. Beauty and the Beast was going to be another one where we're really going for something darker and deeper and romantic and and, and it, it, something that we've never done before. Um even Aladdin is like let's follow in the footsteps of those. And then I think it's maybe they just got a little too big for their britches and they were just like, let's do a bunch of things at the same time. This Pocahontas, I think Hunchback is starting development at this point as well. Uh, and this is the one that's kind of lost in the shuffle. Possibly because may, I, I, my only guess is that Disney in the 70s especially relied on cute animals all their movies were fun, cute animals, lighthearted, sort of floofy. You know, they were they're not as regarded, highly regarded as 
the Disney classics of the 40s, 50, the 40s, the 50s, and, and even the 60s to some extent. So I think maybe there was always that hanging over its head. But mm. uh, let, let's get a little bit into it before we go any further. Uh, let's do it. Most of the films we've covered during this era, uh, like most of them, The Lion King begins development back in 1988 after the breakout success, uh, or just before the breakout success of The Little Mermaid. Starts as an idea discussed by future enemies, Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, Roy Disney, and a film executive, Peter Schneider. They were on a flight to Europe for the press tour for Oliver and Company. Sort of similar to that, um, the Pixar lore always talks about that lunch at the diner that they oh, had yeah. in like 90, you know what I'm talking about, to the point yeah. where it's just like, all right, as I'm doing a jerk-off motion. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but they're all great movies. They are, but it, yeah, they tell that story so many times. We came like, up with Finding Nemo, Toy Story, Monsters Inc. And, and I just drew, and I just drew this little thing, and uh, later that would become Wally. And we okay. all, it all came up on a little napkin at a diner. Like, all right, we get it. You're all geniuses. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Y'all Good just, for you. Y'all just f- fucking around, making hits. Okay. <laughs> You know, redefining uh, the animated feature format for generations. whoop de doo Yeah. Anyway. Monopolizing the animation category at the Oscars for a decade to come. Congrats. So, uh, very similar to that. Uh, they have a flight where they're just throwing around ideas of like, man, The Little Mermaid is doing really well. What else can we do? Beauty and the Beast, obviously, in production, too. So, like, what else can we do in the classic Disney style? And this gets thrown out. Um, One of the men apparently said, let's do something that takes place in the jungles of Africa. Uh, And that immediately catches Katzenberg's ear. uh, And he immediately takes a liking to it. So he makes the project his baby to begin with, which is kind of ironic considering what it becomes in just like a year or two to him and the rest of the studio heads Uh, he provides input throughout the project's beginning even going so far as to say that the film's themes of family power struggles and political shakeups is quote a little bit about myself all right okay buddy all right okay you know Oh, Katzenberg, you're so weird. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Many of the names that uh, have become familiar, if you've been listening to us over the last month, from this era were initially very eager to lend a helping hand on the project, including Linda Wolverton, who drafted the first script based off of a story treatment by the author of The Brave Little Toaster, Thomas Ditch. Uh, Rescuers Down Under producer Thomas Schumacher joined in as one of the lead producers of the film. Uh, And maybe my favorite quote so far since we've been doing this uh, Disney Renaissance production or uh, retrospective simply because, quote, lions are cool. (laughs) That's so cool of them to hire a 12 year old boy to. (laughs) <laughs> to, to, to do this it's so nice i mean there's probably some child labor laws in effect that uh they're skirting over but it wouldn't <laughs> because be because lie hey i'll say stuff is cool hire me what the hell that's yeah. you know what else is cool lasers lasers lions very green cool. light it green light it there you go it's all it took back in the day 
Uh, originally, the director of Oliver and Company, George Scribner, was set to co-direct the film with Roger Allers. Uh, he was leading story development for Beauty and the Beast at the time. Uh, Allers was brought uh, Allers brought on Brenda Chapman to fill in that for that role for The Lion King, and of course, this begins a very storied career for her in animation. She eventually directs the hit animated musical Prince of Egypt, the what first or second, probably the first DreamWorks animated movie uh, post Katzenberg leaving. Uh, Disney for DreamWorks, and she became the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature for co-directing Brave. Uh, but after six months of story development work, uh, Scribner decides to leave the project. He was clashing with Allers and producers on the decision to turn the film into a musical, which why didn't that happen from the beginning? It's so weird how that is working. Clearly for Disney. And for two of the four, no, three of the four projects we talked about were not intended to be musicals. So weird. I mean, Little Mermaid, I, I, can, I can I can only think. You said these all these are all their little babies in 1988. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's now we're talking probably 88, 89, maybe even yeah, 90. At but I'm point. saying Little Mermaid is out. Right. And it's worked and it's a hit. Mm- Rain. Raining cash. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know what? Everything else we're working on, these are all musicals too now, baby. <laughs> and yet it took a minute for Beauty and the Beast. It took until yeah. they realized Little Mermaid's a hit to be like, okay, fine, switch it. Aladdin was always a musical. Yeah. And then maybe they were trying to be like, well, now we need something different with Lion King. Mm, and maybe. Disney must have realized, nah, no. Musicals. Everything's a musical now. Get the memo, songs and everything, singing lions. Let's go. So that must have been it. But because of that, George Scribner leaves the project. He doesn't want to do a musical. It's not what he wanted. He wanted, uh, as he said, apparently, uh, Scribner's intention was to make a documentary style film more focused on the natural aspects of the African savanna. Did he? Did he move to the Disney nature? Uh, production I have team? No idea. Like what did you? So What's his name? George Scribner. So like he wanted to make like an atmospheric, almost more avant-garde, like nature animated nature film, which is like, hey man, that I mean it'd be kind of cool maybe, but like. So as far as film goes. Like, he directed Oliver and Company, then The Prince and the Pauper, and then he had additional story material on Lion King, which means he was just there in the beginning of the project. Mm. After that, he doesn't direct anything until Mickey's Fill Our Magic in 2003. What? That's weird. Damn. Maybe he he was just once he saw the Lion King and what it became, he just sh- uh, shunned himself from polite society. It was like I can't ever show my face again. I'm the guy who said no to Lion King. Ah, uh, there you go. You know what? He's an anime right now. He's an animation contractor for okay. Walt Disney Imagineering. Okay, so he's so just he, sw- he he made the switch to Imagineering. Got it. He's do- yeah. He's doing park stuff hey, now, baby. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. More power to him. That's all that's I'm a cake gig, baby. That's do it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, that's the gig right there. I just want to, now that he's retired, I'm just saying, I can I can put a bunch of shit hanging from my ear. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Send me on some trips. Roadie for life, baby. Yeah. Roadie big heads. roadhead. Roadie head, stand up. <laughs> uh, there might have also been some frustration about how the studio was prioritizing the film. Once this was the crown jewel of Katzenberg's upcoming animated slate, this is what he wanted. But all the attention had seemed to shift to the studio's uh, more coveted project, Pocahontas. All of their most talented artists were moving to that. Almost all of everybody was focusing all their energy on that. He and Michael Eisner believed that would be the studio's next massive hit both at the box office and at the awards circuit, something we kind of talked about in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. They, I think, after Beauty and the Beast, were like, how do we do that again? How do we make a movie that crosses over, appeals to adult audiences as well as kids, and gets us a Best Picture nomination, and maybe even wins it? So they just Mm. focused everything on Pocahontas, and Lion King became, as I think some people just literally refer to it as the B Project at Walt Disney Animation. Uh, yeah, that's what happens when it's a bunch of old white men who are like, "Let this is the one, this is the one, the one where it's uh, maybe we're doing some insensitive things culturally and ignoring a lot of things conveniently, but that's the one that everyone's going to connect to. No. Uh, <laughs> the film's crew got one last shakeup after a trip by much of the production crew to Hell's Gate National Park in Kenya. You know, they always show that in the video. Ah, we studied how lions and warthogs walked. Um, of course, to study characters and environments. Uh, Schumacher goes from the film's producer to the vice president of development for the entire animation studio. So they needed a new producer. Uh, so the team hands that job to Don Hahn, who steps in, and as well as a new co-director, Rob Minkoff. Uh, the new team fine-tunes the story, and it's uh, this was a story, of course, that needed a lot of fine-tuning because they were very prideful of the fact that it was the first Disney animated film not to be based off of any source material. Did you say prideful? Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. No source material. None at all. Whatsoever. Continue, Cody. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> nothing was ever even close to a similar. Nope. Process. Now moving on to casting. Yes. <laughs> uh, with the help of new screenwriters, Irene Michi and uh, Jonathan Roberts, uh, they did, however. Wait, Zendaya wrote this? Yeah, that's right. Z- uh, Zendaya is Irene Michi. Okay. Uh, the story borrowed elements from, of course, Shakespeare's Hamlet and also biblical tales uh, like the stories of Joseph and Moses to flesh things out and provide focus. And again, nothing else. Like, look, maybe, Kimba. maybe, maybe some of Sorry. them watched. I shouldn't cough on a podcast. That's yeah, rude. That's a little rude, you know. But but, but Paul, it's it, all I'm saying is maybe they watched this like Japanese animated series from the 70s. I don't know. Uh, Akira? Voltron? Yeah, Astro Boy. Astro Boy. Is what I'm Astro Boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Kimba. Kimba's a thing. But he's a white lion. He's he, Simba's golden True. brown. He's golden brown. True. So it's different. Okay, here's my theory, though, Paul. Is this kind of like, to use a musical reference... Mm. Is this kind of like n- not movie musicals? I should say, like uh, okay. pop music reference. There, I should have clarified on a musical okay. podcast. A music, music reference. reference. A music reference. Thank you. Sorry, 
should have been more specific. Yes. Is this kind of like a uh, George Harrison being like, ah, I'm going to write this great new song, My Sweet Lord, and then not <laughs> realizing that you just totally ripped that off from a 60s song by the Chiffons and just I... not realizing it and not doing it out of spite or harm, just being like, oh, and not and then after the fact, you'd be like, oh, shit, that is the same thing, huh? That's where I heard it. Yeah, or like a, a Sam Smith uh, stay with me situation. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's possible. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, I think what makes it okay. So here's where I think there might be a little more shenanigans going on is because they so fervently are like, we never seen it, don't know about it, never happened. As opposed to, say, like when Sam Smith was said, was told, hey, stay with me, sounds exactly like um, Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. And he went, ah, shit. It kind of does. Okay, I'm going to credit that guy. Yeah, there's a difference. Uh, <laughs> now, Disney I mean, is also like, so notorious for like the moment someone's like, uh, we might have a claim to that, where they're just like, lawyer up, bitches. Yeah. It's not, it is go time. We are not letting them get a cut of this. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised they haven't attacked the Etsy market like Taylor Swift did that one time. Mm-hmm. Why has that not happened? That's a good point. You know what? I think it, they just realize it 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 does nothing. Like right. they're like they're like okay, so let's say we save at the most what hundred grand? Yeah, exactly. A year? A, that's a that is a the, less than a drop in the bucket. And how much publicity or goodwill do you have to pay for after that kind of a fucking fallout? Yeah, they're like, there's a risk management situation there for sure. They're like, eh, it's fine. Uh, so I I didn't write much more information about the Kimba the White Lion. There's a lot of YouTube. Any, exactly. Anyone who wants to see it, there's tons of YouTube channels that have covered extensively the similarities, the yep. differences. That people have theories. Uh, I think I uh, one of the ones I look at was like one of the theme park YouTube videos I follow. They they post a good one about it. Just look it up. You'll find a bunch of shit on it. Uh, there's some stuff that are a little bit of a stretch. There's some of like, oh, Kimba. Well, Simba means lion. Like, what the fuck? I mean. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, it, it's not a big surprise that two people would name their lion something similar to a lion. You know. Yeah. And the one thing I think is worth mentioning, because like you said, it's so extensively covered with so many video essays and whatnot. But. And I could be wrong here, but I very much remember, like, throughout the years, there have been multiple claims that as far back as, like, the early 80s, maybe even the late 70s, that Walt Disney Studios was trying to get the rights to Kimba the White Lion. And that they struggled and struggled and never came to an agreement. And then the Lion King happened. Yeah, see, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So they basically were like, let's tweak enough things where we can't get sued technically for copyright infringement. That is what happened. Almost certainly that is what happened. And uh, does it make the movie any less good? No, it doesn't. Like, I just, that's the thing that I want everyone to realize. If you are one of those people who's just like, I can't ever 
fucking watch it now. It's ruined it for me. It doesn't the movie is still the movie. It's still an incredible film. Like yeah, it doesn't change that, and it's okay. Yeah, unless unless I turn on Kimba the White Lion and I hear <laughs> then right. I'm not then I'm right. not gonna you know. Does Kimba the White Lion have uh, a, a a lovable farting warthog? I mean, exactly. maybe, but it doesn't. It ain't Pumba. Just saying. Yep. So that's well documented, but also worth mentioning. Uh, if that whole totally original thing. It still doesn't hold water. Uh, it's also was inspired by a lot of African folk tales as well. So this whole like totally original story, but we were inspired by Shakespeare. We were inspired by the Bible and most specifically by African folk tales. Uh, there's a very similar to story that you know Western culture doesn't really know as well, um, but it is a historical story. Uh, from Western Africa, a story about one of their greatest kings, Sundiata, an epic of old Mali, uh, the main character named Sundiata, which directly translated means the Lion King, uh, a young prince banished from his homeland by his family after his father dies. Uh, the story covers him over- overcoming uh, emotional and physical ailments later to return to his kingdom and battle an evil sort of sorcerer king that has taken over in his spot. Um, this is basically yeah an old legend that's been passed on by generations and generations. There is even a sort of Rafiki type of figure that um, sort of, yeah, is the one sort of telling the story within the story. So, Mm. yeah, that is probably where they get a lot of other story elements as well. Um, Anyway, uh, the film is still... After all this time in development, it is the, the, the red-headed stepchild of Disney Animation, the island of misfit animators, if you will. Uh, the, the movie that, if they were a child, would be fed fish heads in the attic. You get the point. The story artist also didn't have much faith in the project. Uh, Chapman declared that she was reluctant to accept the job uh, because, quote, the story wasn't very good. Uh, writer Bernie Madison said to co-worker Joe Ranft, uh, quote, I don't know who is going to want to watch that one. Uh, because of that, many of the lead animators on the film were uh, occupying those spots for the very first time. You just basically had a bunch of people who were just trying to get a leg up and were like, the only place I'm going to do it, it's not going to be with Pocahontas. That's all the A team. So B team time. Uh but B Team did pretty good because they inc- created some of the most. The thing that's, I think, especially watching these f- in a row, the thing that immediately stands out is the incredible backdrops and backgrounds and, and scenery. Mm-hmm. It's so striking compared to the rest of the slate we've watched so far. Yeah, I think this one. As far as like the backgrounds and everything is just so much more, I don't know, vibrant than everything else. And the contrasts between like the the elephant graveyard and the shadowlands, and then like you know the greenery of of the of their pride land. Like everything is just so. 
Uh, going back a little bit to what you were saying about like the the lack of faith, I, I'm I'm wondering if people were just like, oh, why are they going to care about a movie with a bunch of animals? Like, there's no humans for them to uh, identify with. You know what I mean? I and think the that's last what... three were human led, exactly. Fairy tales. And then so you met, you say then all oh, the all the A people were going to Pocahontas because they're like, yeah, like people, people. It's it's a movie with people. <laughs> so and even after this. It's surprising that Disney didn't just be like more animals because yeah. after this, it's Pocahontas, it's Hunchback, it's Mulan, it's Tarzan. It takes a while to get. I mean, Tarzan's the closest you get to like animals are back. Hercules. Did I mention Hercules? Uh, it's all people. It's all human led movies. Yeah. So it is kind of surprising that after this, they didn't go, oh, more animals. They they kind of just were like that's a one and done, we we got a hole in one. We're, we'd be lucky <laughs> if we got par on the next one if we if we did it again. Yeah, you know. So uh, one of the most impressive scenes in the movie is probably the wildebeest stampede uh, that uh, took Disney CG department apparently three years to fully animate. Uh, a new computer program had to be written for the CG will to be stampede. I, I love shit like that. I love it when they're like, Invented we had to make technology. something up. Yep. We had to do it. It's literally why it takes James Cameron like 15 years between projects because he's like, I have to invent a technology in between and then have an excuse to use it for a movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. So I respect. Uh, so they had to, yeah, build that new. Uh, technology so that the cg wildebeest wouldn't keep colliding into each other when they were able to put in the programming um the music gotta talk about the music of course this is a movie musical podcast even the music was kind of treated as an afterthought initially even though tim rice was the one they brought on what does alan mankin do alan mankin shifts over right pocahontas yeah he does pocahontas he shifts over to the a project because he's our a guy so, Tim Rice, thanks for your work on Aladdin. You get the B project if you want it. Uh, and he did. But that also gave him the freedom to choose whoever he wanted to be his writing partner for the musical. So, who did he choose? Yes, he chose Elton John eventually. But, and this is something I never knew until we did this. I'm excited, based on the timbre of your voice. Paul, what if it was The Lion King written by Tim Rice and ABBA? Oh my god, The Dancing King? Because that <laughs> was nearly a reality. That was his number one choice. I want ABBA. Because he uh, wanted it to be big, pop, fun music. Yeah. Um, which it, it still is, but man, I I cannot imagine a world where Swedish supergroup ABBA was writing the music for, you know, a story taking place in the African savanna. It would have been I know bizarre. Will the beasts succumb and there's no place to go? <laughs> <laughs> You are the Lion King. Yeah, okay. I, so I'll tell you this right now, Cody. 
the uh, ABBA Gold, the the greatest hits album of ABBA, slaps like you would not believe. I love that album. Hell yeah, that's that's the the most freeing moment is when you can unironically say ABBA rules, dude. Rules, rules. You know, life is too short to feel any other way. Don't repress it. Just enjoy ABBA, folks. Damn right. Uh, they respectfully declined because they were <laughs> developing their first musical, Christina Fran du- Duvimala. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, they were doing that instead. They were they were already doing their own stage musical. So he opted for a second choice. Imagine having your second choice be Elton fucking John. <laughs> Elton John. <laughs> it sounds so crazy in retrospect that the Lion King, the B project, the lesser of the pro- two projects, had the guy who co-wrote Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita writing songs with, again, Elton John. And they were like, nah, that's the other one. No one cares about that project. Yeah. Insane. And we're gonna get the guy who sings for Toto to do the to, to do the adult okay. vocal. Another thing I had no fucking clue about. <laughs> Excuse me. Now he is like the other. He's like yeah. the, he's post Africa. But I think he, I think he's the current singer right. for Toto. Holy but he is God. not. When you think of like the Toto hits, it's not. Yeah, it's not him. It's like when Randy Jackson on American Idol was like, "I perform with Journey." It's like, but did you? But how crazy is it? That the guy who sang on The Lion King didn't sing Africa. I know. It felt like it writes itself. And yet. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Man. It's what is just this parade of strange coincidences with this movie. Uh, so, yes, like I said, Elton John. It's Elton John, guys. Like, why are you brushing this project off? Well, take yourself back to what? Probably he's hired in 1992, 91, 92. And. You know, Elton John isn't the force in popular music. He was even like 10 years prior at that point. I think he had like a top five hit in 1992. He had another top five hit with George Michael, but it was literally just Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, a song that had come out years prior. So, you know, he was just kind of viewed as a guy whose best days were behind him. You know, he had a great run in the 70s and into the 80s. He was in one of his many lulls. Yeah. Because he he had so many... High moments in his career that that meant he could have lulls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it was, like he had nothing left to prove, really, at that point. But it was like, you know, he is he was a he had his moment. He had his moment, and we all loved him, didn't we, folks? Uh, so basically, no expectations. Uh, he did express an interest in writing, as he called it, quote, ultra pop songs that kids would like, then adults can go and see those movies and get just as much pleasure out of them. His most, the movie he saw as an influence while writing this was The Jungle Book. He felt that that music was so funny and appealed to kids and adults alike. Uh, of course, what also makes the music stand out is that the score, which the prior three movies... Alan Menken, Howard Ashman, and Tim Rice for Aladdin write the songs, and then Alan Menken writes the score. So there is a very familiar feeling with everything. Everything feels, they feel like Broadway musicals, you know? Uh, Whereas this movie, they made the conscious decision to have them write the songs and bring in Hans Zimmer 
to write the score. Uh, Zimmer originally hesitates at the idea of composing music specifically because it's a children's animated me- film. Didn't feel like he fits at all. Uh, and they haven't invented the thing right, yet. Right. So. There's none of that yet. He can't just like slam on the, the low end of the piano and create yeah. you know, some demonic sound. Yes. Uh Eventually, though, he joins production. He he started warming up to the story, and uh, he said it reminded him of his relationships with his father and his daughter. Uh, eventually, he joins in. His whole attitude changes, and he calls, to this day, The Lion King one of the greatest experiences of his professional career. And it is another one where I always forget. It's such a good uh, score. It's so It really good. is. And it actually incorporates uh, a lot of uh, African-sounding mm-hmm. music into it. Whereas stuff like Aladdin, the beginning of Aladdin is very Arabian-themed. But there are moments when the score loses it. And you're like, yeah. this is just kind of a standard... We're just having silly fun, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, whereas this, it feels like throughout it... It's a, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's the difference. And again, this is not a knock against Alan Menken at all. Alan Menken writes Broadway musical style. So that's what he's going to write. Hans Zimmer doesn't. Hans Zimmer yeah. writes according to the film. And so they kind, they kind of needed that for this type of setting. Uh, I also just have to throw this out that I think it was in the, uh, in the preparation for The Mandalorian, there was lots of interviews with the cast, specifically with Werner Herzog, mm-hmm. who was being asked questions about, do you like Star Wars, Werner Herzog? Which is yeah. just like, come on, guys. Uh, but somebody even asked him about like being part of Disney, and he was just like, I don't watch Disney movies, but... I do put, I like particularly the Hans Zimmer soundtrack for Lion King. Like... Hell yeah. <laughs> that is the most on that is the most Bert Herzog answer ever. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds- I love the Lion King because it teaches us that life is finite. <laughs> nature and is we brutal. all will die. <laughs> it teaches you the brutality of nature. <laughs> it's true. Love it, it. It, it, I does. Can, it makes sense. It makes sense why you like it. It does, man. Yep. Uh, So the cast is actually one of the most star-studded that we have talked about thus far in the Disney Renaissance era. Uh, But there's still plenty of Broadway experience here, specifically the actors who would voice Timon and Pumbaa, Nathan Lane, and Ernie Sabella, uh, uh, respectively. They're both Broadway vets, of course, Nathan Lane for years and years, but they both were on Broadway together at the time. Uh, The original intent was not to have them as Timon and Pumbaa. Nathan Lane was auditioning for Zazu. Uh, He came in and he saw his buddy, Ernie Sabella, who they were co-starring in a production of Guys and Dolls on Broadway at the time, hit it off. They realized the producers were like, hey, you want to try out something else here? You want to try the hyenas? Because we need a team. And they did the hyenas. uh, And they realized they're perfect together, but not as the hyenas. And so they said, Timon and Pumbaa. You guys are going to be our main comedic foils in the film. Uh, The Disney prince of the 90s, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, voiced young Simba, while Matthew Broderick, of course, played the older version of Simba. And, of course, despite that long track record of Broadway musical success for Broderick, he does not provide the singing voice, which 
When, Still- is, when is Matthew Broderick's first Broadway role? Did maybe they just didn't know? Hmm. Curious. Look, yeah, I'd have to look that up because it doesn't make any sense that he doesn't sing. No, he won a Tony Award in 1983. Ah, okay. So <laughs> what's happening here? I, I don't get it. And another one. And another one in '95. I mean, his voice is not, I guess, exactly what they were looking for with Simba, obviously. But like, I don't know. Yeah. Save a little money. Yeah. It's weird. It's very weird. It's always been weird to me. Uh, and of course, Paul, as you mentioned, the singing voice of Simba would be the lead singer then of Toto, Joseph Williams. By the way, uh, we've already mentioned one uh, legendary film composer in this uh, podcast. Why not mention another? Joseph Williams, the son of renowned film composer John Williams. Yep. Another what in the fuck is happening moment as I'm reading the info for this movie. Love it. What the hell? Bizarre. Other nearly casted actors include a shocker, Tommy Chong, uh, that was supposed to be the other hyena was going to be Cheech and Chong as the hyenas. Perfect. You know, it's hilarious. Uh, Tommy Chong unavailable. So, they get Whoopi Goldberg, which in a way probably works a little better, to be honest. Uh, Tim Curry and Malcolm McDowell were originally considered for Scar. It's great. I did, did, great. You really can't lose with any of the choices they had. No. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, this is all good. They were both great choices. But they go with Jeremy Irons. Even though Irons was a little more skeptical of the role, apparently he was not all in. On, he, he was just like, it's an animated movie. It's a comedic role. Why would I want to do this? And they had to assure him, don't worry. We're going to cater the role to you. Even so far as putting the uh, you're so weird, Uncle Scar, you have no idea, is actually a line plucked from one of his previous movies. Uh, mm. One of the characters from the previous movies. Uh, this is a bizarre factoid that I'm not quite sure is even true, but I had to put it in here. Frank Welker, a renowned voice actor for years and years and years, provides all of the lion roars in the movie. There are no actual recordings of lions used in the movie. There's uh, no way. <laughs> That's insane. This is what I'm re- This is from IMDb's trivia uh, because the producers wanted specific sounding roars for each lion. I don't believe it at all, but that's what they say. Okay. Frank Welker. A, 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 a voice acting savant. Well, I, uh, no, no, I doubt it. So, no, stupid, ridiculous. Anyway, maybe we can get Frank Walker to do a lion roar at some point and prove us wrong. I would. We'll see. After tons of rewrites and a lot of doubt, Disney execs realized they actually did have something special on their hands. They were so eager to show the world what they had. They released the first trailer for it in November of 1993, even though a th- only a third of the movie was complete by some accounts. Uh, the first trailer was the entire Circle of Life, o- life o- opening sequence. I remember, I remember that. I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, basically unheard of at the time. Like, they just never did anything like this. But uh, the trailer was one of the most well-received Disney has ever put out. Like, drove up the hype for this movie 
big time. Uh, a few weeks before the film opens, Elton John was given a special screening of the film. So the legend says he apparently noticed that one of the songs he put in was out of the picture. A love song. Shocker. The love song was taken out. Uh, and he lobbied Jeffrey Katzenberg to have it put back in. He eventually agreed. And, of course, that song won him the Academy Award for Best Original Song. What? What? Can what? you feel the love tonight was not going to be in it? Why has this happened on every single one of these movies? It is so the mindset of a studio exec where they're not thinking about emotion. They're not thinking about critical. They're not thinking about that. They're literally thinking of audiences as numbers on a sheet of paper where they're just like, well, now our uh, the, the engagement rating will go down here. And, you know, the kids are not going to be into this. And, blah, blah, blah. you know, that's they're going to think of it in that way. Because Which that's is all so we dumb. are to them. It's so dumb because, one, they're already in the theater. Can't get out. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, if they, they could, if they want, they, but, like, they that's bought a waste their of ticket. Right. They bought their ticket, baby. Like... So if that's your if that's what you're worried about, you're insane. <laughs> I don't understand. Like who's gonna? But who? Like their thinking is obviously like who's gonna then say after the movie, "I loved it," but God, that song! You just don't even see it because that one song yeah. is so lovey dovey and boring. No yeah. one's saying that. Yeah, the only thing dumber than that would be to take a song that everyone loves and have someone talk it for two minutes. Anyway, they would never do such a thing. No, never. Why would you take a great song, a great villain song, and have a character speak it for a minute? You know what makes that song even worse? And of course, we're talking about the 2019 soulless version of The Lion King. Absolutely, <sighs> just uh, honestly, I can now say this. I didn't even finish the movie because I was just like, I get it. I don't need this anymore. Why do I need to ruin something I love? Why yeah. do I need it, it? It was a soul sucking, soul crushing experience to watch. Yeah, it's it's no good. Uh, they even and this was funny. You know how uh, the the people who we don't we don't like uh, they'll say stuff like forced diversity and forced like you're forcing your agenda. That movie actually has a case where I go, that is correct. Because they make a female they make the female hyena like face off with Nala at the end, but like do not give them any extra character development. So literally they just do it because they're like, well, we need like two women who fight also. Yeah. And it's just like, but you have to also give them a story. Otherwise, you're literally like I said, like like these people are claiming you're doing in all these other projects, but you're not doing it. You're literally checking a box. So don't do that. It's, it's stupid. It's the Avengers Endgame. We got this moment. Yeah, that is the yeah. absolute. If you're thinking of it, that's the worst example. Versus, I remember texting you during the f finale of the Mandalorian, where I'm like, uh, the part where it's like Gina Carano and yeah. uh, you know, it's it's all the women who have been in the in the show the whole time are all fighting together, and you don't even think about it. It's like this is how it should be. Anyway, yeah, uh, well, let's get off our soapbox here. Uh, it sucks, but but the point I was going to make is that. Even in this movie, Jeremy Irons is not a singer. No. And he gave it his all. 
He did exa- He did everything he could to sing that song and do it yeah. well and do it the way he could do it. He blew out his voice doing it. Did they even try to, t- like, and I don't know if it's on Shoet Elegifor. I don't know if he's like, I'm not going to sing. And if it is, then why'd you cast him? Uh, but is it on the producer's be like, yeah, just talk it. You don't have to sing it. You know? Yeah, whoever's like, this- whoever it is, it sucks. Whoever's decision it was, it's not only their fault, it's everyone else's fault because not another person went, Hey, this is this sounds bad. Yeah. Exactly. Nobody went, hold on. Um But then again, no one had the balls to tell John Favreau that every animal in that movie has dead eyes like a shark. No, no one no one has the balls to tell him any of that. So you know, whatever. Why, why, how have we yet to learn like after after like four Deadeye Bob Zemeckis motion capture movies, how did we fail to learn the lessons? Oh, I maintain that Tintin has much more heart than uh, and and than than the Lion King remake. But see, because those characters are kind of stylized, though. That's True. The exactly. That's the difference. Exactly. Oh uh, no! Why why watch this colorful, wonderful set piece of "I Just Can't Wait to Be King" with with all this magical choreography drawn to perfection, mixed with CGI to create this wonderful hodgepodge of mixing old and new technologies to a wonderful song? When instead, you can have animals sing it while they walk around. <laughs> and brown and gray and and washed out why who wants that i don't understand if there's any any lesson to be learned over the last month of us covering these movies it is these ones exist there is no reason to revisit the other ones because they are so far less they're, they're just so inferior in every way Every single way. The music is worse. The look of it is worse. It's longer. Stop say, watching them. Stop giving your money to Disney to watch these movies and watch the originals because they're right there. I would say The Lion King is the worst example of it because at least with the other ones, you could hinge on, okay, this time I get to see Cinderella as a real person. This time I get to see Aladdin as a real person. This is I get to see these people as real people. This is... I get to see lions. Oh, wait. Still as fake lions. They're still fake lions. They're not real lions. <laughs> Infuriating. Why why did we let this happen? It's all it's our fault ultimately, but you know. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway. Back to a good movie. Back to a good movie. Uh so Disney spares no expense uh, to build up hype. Spared no expense. They released it in new digital surround sound that led to many theaters around the country having to upgrade their sound systems just to be able to show this film. Why is Disney always the one who does that? They have oh, such I love a history it. of doing that. Do I remember like vividly like cuz my dad always loved having like a big stereo cabinet with like he always had like back in the day. Now all speakers are tiny and they sound amazing. But back in the day, you you had to have like towers, like a six foot tall thing with like a subwoofer in it and multiple like it looks ridiculous. But I remember my dad would be like, "Okay, well now we got stereos because you got to have both, like you know, left and right. Sometimes it comes from the left, sometimes it comes to the right. Oh shit, crazy." And then I remember them being like, "Well now there's surround sound. Now the sound comes from the front and the back. Well that's cool." And then they're like, "Actually now." It's 5.1 surround sound. I remember them being like Dolby. Oh, Dolby means it comes from the back and the front. And then all of a sudden it's like, now it's separated. What? That's right. Not only does sound come from the back and the front, but certain sounds come from the back and certain sounds come from the front. And you're like, what? And it was like, 
the amount that speakers have changed in like from when I was a kid in the the late eighties until now is insane. The amount of like marketing and <laughs> especially because if you really think about it now, I would say ninety percent of all people are now are just like I'm gonna buy a sound bar. I was about to say all you need is a sound bar now, and it it gets it, it basically gets what you want done. But I'm I'm still I'm Mister Five Foot One right now in my room, Cody. I have I have the two speakers up top. I have the God two in the back. You. I have a subwoofer. God bless you. It sounds better anyway. <laughs> You're right. It does. It does. It does. But God bless you. You're sitting on your couch with. I'm just imagining you with the goggles, like the uh, you know what I'm talking about, the commercial. Oh yeah. Yeah, with this like the the fans going. <laughs> yeah. At see, them. everyone remembers the commercials too. Yeah. It's crazy. That, and, 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 spe- and and theaters would advertise it. They'd be and like... T- and THX at the beginning yep. of the movies. I remember there was the... I don't know if it's a Simpsons... No, it was. I think it was on Tiny Toons was the gag. Where yeah. literally everyone is like they're f- being flung to the back of the theater, like popcorn over their head or sodas falling over them. It's great. Uh so yes, they basically Disney was like, "Hey, small time theater, you gotta uh, amp up the sound, or we're not you're not getting Lion King." So of course everyone did it. They also had special engagements a week before it was released at the El Capitan Theater in L.A. and Radio City Music Hall in New York. Apparently, tickets going as high as thirty dollars a pop uh, to get this special and again new special sound. Uh, uh, yeah. So you know what? It sounds crazy to me, but now I'm thinking. They go like, "Hey." Uh, the, do you want like the uh, AMC? What is it? The, uh, what's the special theater AMC has? Yeah. I mean, they have IMAX. They're, they're IMAX. They have an IMAX, but they have another one. Uh, hold on. I'm going to look. Oh yeah. The one where like the seats move around and stuff. Right. Not even that. They just have one. That's like, they just have a D box. That's the one I'm thinking of. No, it's called, I want to say it's called like AMC Black or something like that, where it's like, oh, this is the best way to see it. Like, it's exactly like the the sound system is the best sound system we have. The projector is the most expensive, clearest projector we have. Like, and, and people will pay like 20 bucks to go watch a movie now. So you know what? This is not new. (laughs) No, it's not. Not new at all. This has been happening. And, and you know, we've talked about it too with like Oklahoma and a lot of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals was all like, you know. Uh, si- I was going to say Sideshow. Uh, like Showcase. AMC Prime. Yeah. That's AMC it. AMC Prime. Thank you. Roadshow theater. The musicals is what I was looking for. Roadshow movies where it was the same sort of thing. So, uh, By the way, uh, the money made from those two screenings alone set a new record for the largest opening ever by a film that opened on less than 50 screens, topping the 43 screen debut of Star Wars. Thirty dollars to take it, but still, Jesus. Yeah, the film is released to wide audiences on June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety four. Which, by the way, has got to be the first of these musicals to get a summer release. Uh, all three, all, all three of the other ones got fall releases, holiday releases. So, I don't know if that's a a boost of confidence suddenly by Disney to go from like like the other three were holiday releases because they wanted to get that Christmas money. Whereas this is like summer, I feel like that's a really big vote of confidence, right? Like yeah, I feel like they knew the they had they knew they had a gem on their hands. Yeah, and plus, Kurt Cobain died two months before, and people needed to heal. That's the real reason. Yes, they needed to heal with talking lions. Damn right. 
it became an overnight sensation. Of course, it made six seven hundred and sixty three point four million dollars worldwide in its initial run. That made it the biggest Disney movie of all time, the biggest animated movie of all time, and the highest grossing film of nineteen ninety four. My word. <laughs> That sounds like it's it's weird to even think now in movie terms that 763 million isn't as big a number as it was. Oh no! Now if if a comic book movie doesn't make a billion, they're like ah flopping it, isn't it? And you're like Jesus, really? Yeah. Like I want to say, what did like uh, a Justice League make? Worldwide? Oh, <laughs> what did that make worldwide? Because I mean, it probably didn't get close to this, but I'm curious. Six six hundred fifty-seven million. Okay, it made a hundred million less than this. Like, if you heard any movie made at the time, if a movie made six hundred a hundred million less than Lion King, six hundred fifty million dollars, you go, "Wow, what a huge movie!" And yet, our mind says Justice League flop. It's bizarre how it's all changed. I, I mean, I get it, inflation, whatnot, but it's just crazy. But still, yeah, yeah. Uh, it now sits as the 10th highest grossing animated film of all time, by the way. Only 25-ish years ago, 26, 27 years ago, it was the highest grossing animated movie of all time. It's now 10th. Hmm. Uh, even after accounting for its 3D re-release, although it still holds the record for the highest grossing hand-drawn animated film ever made. The other nine are computer animated at this point. Now, I feel like... Uh... You know what? No, no. Let's let's. I was gonna say we both saw the movie in three D. We should talk about that after we talk about the movie. Let's do, let's do that. Let's do that. Fair enough. I liked the three D. I'll say that much so far. Yeah. Um, it's also estimated. Let's just keep racking in that uh, that Disney money, those Disney dollars. It's estimated that Disney made one billion dollars in merchandising from the film in nineteen ninety four alone. Son of a bitch. With two hundred and fourteen million. Of that one billion coming from Christmas toy sales alone. Oh yeah! See, that's 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 the genius of having it in the summertime instead of at Christmas time. It comes because out on video, th- and everyone can buy it for Christmas, and they can buy all the. Everyone loves it so much. Yep, you're right. And it, by then, everyone's like. The kids are already obsessed, and they're like, oh, what about this giant Lion King plush or playset thing I want? And they're like, well, you'll get on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> you can't get it now you get it for Christmas uh, it eventually probably because it came out on Christmas they probably realized why have we not been doing this in the first place it became the highest the best selling home video of all time more than 55 million copies sold uh, just a behemoth uh, side note which has nothing to do with anything we're talking about the podcast right now well kinda uh, did you ever try to get uh, gifts like did you ever try to game your parents for gifts on layaway where you're like if you get it for me now for my birthday in six months then you don't have to get me anything for my birthday I just want this thing now <laughs> I think there were as I got older there were agreements like that there was a oh, lot I, of when I was a child I tried to bargain like that I'd be like well see Christmas the rules for Christmas in my house were always I always got fewer gifts because I'd always ask for like a video game or two. Uh I was always the video game yeah. kid for Christmas. So I would receive maybe two, three video games if I was a good little boy that year. Um as and I would maybe get a couple more gifts and then my sisters would be opening like 10 to 15 gifts on average every year. I would be opening 7 
just five yeah. to seven every year. Every year disappointed, not realizing, like, uh, yeah, your gifts literally, three of your gifts cost the same as ten of theirs combined. So th- that was probably the agreement we had more than ever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember I would, like, on, sort on, of similar. Yeah. On, on Christmas, I would be like, you know, I want a PlayStation 1. And my mom would be like, that's too much fucking money. <laughs> and I would be like, well, my birthday's in April. So how about you get me a PS1 for Christmas and you don't have to get me a birthday present? <laughs> Uh, I would I try to I like. May, I think I may have had those kinds of greens before. Yeah, I would always try that shit. My mom would be like, "No." <laughs> so wait, you're telling me it never actually worked though? No, <laughs> I, I I tried it so many times. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the movie made gobs and gobs of money. Uh, it also was incredibly is hailed as one of the great animated films of all time. On top of it all, it's the, the best. The best, according to Paul. Uh, the film goes on to win three Golden Globes, including Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, the second animated film to ever do that. It won Best Original Song and Best Original Score. Uh, it also won the Academy Award for both those categories as well. It's been named one of the great animated films of all time by Time Magazine and the American Film Institute. So quite a uh, quite the pedigree on this one and of course what the lion king musical on broadway comes out like two years later like really soon after yeah which itself became a massive sensation and is one of the longest running broadway musicals of all time at this point which i'm i'm looking that up as well when exactly did that come out uh came out in 97 is the tryout all right, 97. All right, so three years later. Three years later at, on Broadway it came out, 1997, and it's become one of the most toured musicals of all time. Yep, I've seen it. Running. You've seen it? I've never seen it, actually. Oh! It's one I've always wanted to see. I've never seen it. I'm, I'm really upset. I've never seen it. I am shocked. I, um, I, I know. It sucks. I've always wanted to see it. I've always missed it. You've never seen it. It even came to San Jose. I know, and I missed it. And that's how I know, like a musical's been around for a long time. I'm like, I'm like, oh, not San Francisco. You came to San Jose. Yep. You We've already covered that. Yeah, we're we're, we're getting long in the tooth here, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> that's it's what been, I'm like. Mm. Been multiple North American tours. It's been everywhere. And I've just never been able to see it. I don't know why. Uh, it's Cody. It's delightful. I know it is. I want to see it. That's one. It's on my list. So let's dig into this movie. <laughs> you think there's going to be musical theater. Yeah, fair enough. We're done. Yeah, we're done. Seeing we're never leaving theater. our homes, Cody. No, Continue. You're, you're fair. Fair enough. That's that's fair. Well, if any movie may be long for the days of being able to go outside without cares or worries, it would be this, seeing that incredible open, The Circle of Life. Of course, we all know it. Uh, we all know the beginning of it. No one can actually, I feel like, say it properly. Uh, and Gonya Bagati Baba. That's the beginning. Okay. Uh, so the opening lyrics that we all know, we all, it's, it's, it's seared into our minds. This incredible scenic. Paul is so excited to find out what this means. It's I've uh, never looked it up. I, I can't believe I've never looked it up. I know. I never have either. I never thought about it. I'm like, hey, why haven't I not looked it up? I kind of liked the mystery of never you know knowing what? what it was. Because I'm because I'm too busy letting the wa- the magic wash over me. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, 
Uh, we have talked about, too, uh, is is this the best opening sequence of any Disney animated movie? Yeah, it's I, hard to argue. Uh, I think I tried to make arguments for some other ones, but now having watched it again and getting goosebumps at the end of it again for the 300th time, it's really not even an argument. This is the best. Nothing rivals it. Imagine... Imagine the studio execs having doubt about this movie, and then the team showed them this. Said, so yeah. this is what we're working on, and they probably all just, their jaws dropped. You know why this works? Because it works as an opening scene. It works as the trailer. And honestly, if they were doing, like, shorts before other movies at the time, and this was just a short before, like, Aladdin, you'd be like, fuck, that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you'd yeah. be like, holy shit. Like this rules. Yeah. This rules. It stands like by itself on its own. And, that, and it's a great way hit to establish end, who these boom, people are, who, who these characters are, what we're what we're in for, where we're at. It, it does it's it's incredible. It's incredible. It's it's incredibly performed. Uh it's perfect. It's there are very few opening scenes, not only for Disney, but in just cinematic history that quite get the job done as well as this does. So, okay, I've been beating around the bush. The opening lyrics translate to, Here comes a lion. Father, oh yes, it's a lion. Here comes a lion. Father, oh yes, it's a lion. A lion we're going to conquer. A lion and a leopard come to this open place. Everything sounds better in its native language. Than <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like when you hear someone like translate a, an any song, you're like, yeah, the um, there's a reason Shakira's songs are better in Spanish. Right. You know, it's just it's don't lie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, so yes, uh, we see Mufasa, Sarabi welcoming their brand new son Simba the future king into the world as Rafiki holds him up for the world to see meanwhile we immediately meet Scar voiced by Jeremy Irons the younger brother of Mufasa who is uh, behind Pride Rock of course envious of his brother as king and he doesn't show up to that big event that day um as uh, Mufasa initially is talking to Zazu, who's the one to tell him, why weren't you there? You're supposed to be there. You're his uncle. All that stuff. Uh, as we learn the tension between these two. Cody, I'm trying to think if there is another image as ingrained in the zeitgeist of popular culture. From a Disney movie, as the Pride Rock, Rafiki as the holding as him, him holding him up, it is little. It's like the it is the I'm the king of the world of this movie. Like it is, it is so like to the point where you could do it with anything, with you, you could do it with a with a burrito, and people will know what you're parodying. God, they will is, know it's <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really trying to think. You're right. King of the world is up there. 
Yeah. If you put your arms out, you go. Oh. Yeah. But see, somebody could misconstrue that as as something almost religious, but eh, not really. But I'm no. saying, like, from a Disney movie, I'm trying to think of anything else that has that specific of I'm a now like. I'm just thinking in general. <laughs> are there any sort of physical movements you could do like that where every single person in the room knows exactly what you're doing? And, yeah. I'm ha- and you're right. I'm having that, a hard time coming up with anything. Yeah, that isn't like a dance or something like that where you'll be like, okay, that's that's that. You're doing that. You know, like I think if you're doing like the bop she wop from fucking Greece, they're like, okay. Yeah, Greece. but again, not every, <laughs> but the, literally you, if, in a crowd of 100 people, if you did okay, that in yeah. front of a crowd of 100 people, of True. course, safely socially distanced and all wearing masks. Uh, if you did that, would they all know? Oh, that's from Greece. Yeah. But if you held up your burrito you're eating, like it's yeah. Simba, everybody knows what you're doing. Yeah. Maybe like the Superman, and not even like any specific Superman, but just the, the, the hands on the hips. Okay, yeah, that could be one. That could that's be like, one. okay, that's Superman. But, like, I'm, I'm really, like, not that, it is, not much out. like, it is a very specific thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, I just, I just thought about it right now when you are mentioning it, I was like... God, that like I'm trying to think of like iconic imagery and like, and we have a lot of like you mentioned like the the pose with with Ariel, you know. Yeah, that's that moment. But this is a thing that you could do in everyday life, at any time, and people will just be like, "Oh yeah, Lion King." <laughs> it's so silly to even think about. You're right. Like people, like, how they many take pictures their with cats. their babies and their cats and their dogs and they do that and everybody knows what's happening yeah There's so few things in the world it was a meme before memes existed my god that's what it is <laughs> well it is, it is in many ways the first meme oh my gosh damn hashtag lion kinging I feel like we've really we've really stumbled upon something here. We've really broken through here, haven't we? Oh man. I wish I could discover things relevant to something of this year. <laughs> but <laughs> something that actually means it's actually had some import in my life. Ah, son of a bitch. That's what yeah. it was. That's what it was. They were they were inventing a meme before we even even knew what the thing was. But. Well, there you go. Now you can continue. I just sorry. It just it no. Just... It's a great point. It's it's. I'm glad you brought it up because I don't. I, I don't think it ever really dawned on me that yeah, you're right. That is so, uh, just so ubiquitous. With with we don't even think about it. We don't even think about it. Yeah. So yes, uh, Scar doesn't show up. Mufasa's mad. Why didn't you show up to my son's? You know, to, to my son's christening or whatever it may be. Uh, and we know now that there's some clashing there between the, the old Scar and uh, Mufasa. Uh, we see Rafiki laughing to himself as he goes, ha-ha, Simba, he's alive, he's born, the new king, and puts something over his forehead. We fast forward at least a couple of years, maybe a year or so. I don't know. How fast do lions grow? No he's, idea. He's probably about a year or two here. It's about a year or two. Uh, Simba gets up early in the morning. Very much uh, they do a great job of capturing the precocious child with parent energy uh, right here of waking up his father uh, to get him up and he shows him of course another iconic moment Uh, everything the sun everything the light touches is our kingdom Um, and then of course says what about that place in the darkness don't overgo there Simba yeah and he goes what did I just say yeah 
What did I just say? Everything the light touches. What about the dark place? What did I just say? Right, are you what? listening? Did that get through <sighs> your thick skull? So yeah, don't go to the shadows. That's that's not good. He's forbidden. Um, the elephant graveyard? That's right. Uh, out, uh, out in the plains, uh, Mufasa tells Simba that uh, there is a balance to everything in life. You could say a circle of life, mm. if you will. We eat the antelope, the antelope, we, what is it, we eat the antelope, and then uh, we die and become the grass, and then the antelope eats the grass. It's the circle yeah. of life and all that. Uh, Mufasa then teaches his son how to bully Zazu um, by pouncing on him, <laughs> gives him a pouncing lesson. Uh, and then Zazu tells him that uh, there is something to attend to uh, in the, uh, pl- what does he call it? I don't know, somewhere in the plains or something, uh, that there's hyenas uh, lying about and doing their hyena thing. Also, there was supposed to be a song here, and they took it out. Mm. Uh, I believe called, because uh, he asks him for the morning report, and it was going to be called the morning report, a song by Zazu, which I believe, do you know, you've seen the musical, is it in the musical? Oh, shoot. It's been a while since I saw it. I've got um, it up here. I've got the soundtrack up here. Let me double check. I think it I think it revived all the cut songs, didn't it? Yep, it's there. The Morning Report is there. There's not a ton of cut songs, by the way. Morning Report was only that was really... Yeah, because they had to create cut. more for the musical as well. Yes. I, I think a Morning Report is the only one that was like a big cut from the uh, original movie. Well, except Can You Feel the Love Tonight, which is going to be cut. Nearly cut. Which, what the fuck are you doing? Why the fuck would you do that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we don't get Morning Report. Unfortunately, we don't get to hear uh, Mr. Bean <laughs> sing. Oh, well. We were deprived. So, yeah, Mufasa rushes off. He goes to deal with that. And take uh, Zazu takes Simba home. Um, he returns to Pride Rock, and that's where his old Uncle Scar is uh, just roaming about. So weird. So you're so weird. Uh, also, there's a part of me where I'm almost like, I kind of see where Scar is coming from. Hear me out. If I had a little nephew who's like, I'm going to be your king. Isn't that something? You're like, this fucking kid. <laughs> this goddamn kid just like bragging to my face and like I'm gonna be your king one day there's nothing you can do about it just like god damn it god damn mm. it so he's pissed at him for all the reasons you say uh, Simba tells him he's weird and then Scar tells Simba hey uh, maybe it, well it doesn't say he basically is like why shouldn't I go to that forbidden place? And Scar alludes, well, there's this place, the, the, uh, uh the oh, he's like, graveyard. you don't want to go there. Yeah. It's an exactly. elephant graveyard is over there. Right. Only the bravest would go to the elephant graveyard. No, no, it's much too dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. Says, For oh, no, too dangerous, too dangerous, knowing full well that, of course, that's going to convince Simba. Half to go to the elephant graveyard. So he meets up with his friend, Nala, uh, who is, this is always a funny scene to me where she's getting a bath and just talking to her, talking to him while she's getting a bath and literally having, having her little rump licked and all that. It's very funny. It's very, the kids makes the kids yeah. laugh. It's, it's a funny moment. Um, tells her about this place or, or it says, let's go out, wants to hang out with her. And so they do. And then as she gets out, um, they tell, 
his mother, Sarabi, that they're going to go to the watering hole and Zazu's going to go along with them. But their plan, of course, is to escape from Zazu so they can go to this elephant graveyard uh, to go and do some mischief or see what it's all about. Um, In the meantime, Simba is complaining about how he has to have Zazu with him and is like, if I was king, I wouldn't have to have you with me. And that's, of course, where we get uh, just a jaunty, fun little tune. I just can't wait to be king. Cody, I've talked a lot on this podcast about the openings of songs, especially the jaunty tunes, immediately capturing you. I've mentioned the steel drums. I've mentioned a, 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 a multitude of things. But... The beginning of this is the peak of just that. I'm like, mm, mm, put it in my veins. I love it. You know what's funny too, Paul? Is that if you didn't tell me what song you were just doing, part of me would have almost thought that is Under the Sea. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's oh, almost, it's there's a formula. The same. Yeah. I think we just uncovered something else. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those are two different songs. Son of a bitch. Yep. Well, here we are. It's something about that, hearing that in your ear. It just latches on, and you're like, whoop, I'm in. Yeah. I mean, the songs are very different once they start. But there's clearly something sort of – there's – there's a, a songwriting school. Maybe, who knows? Maybe Tim Rice and Elton John talked to El- Alan Menken a little bit before they started writing this. And uh, he just hummed. The, or the they seat. probably said, like, you know, like, there is a formula of the type of songs that they put in these movies. And they watched and probably list- watched the scenes of the other ones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a little earworm happens and boom, that's what happens. You know, right. it's just. Exactly. But like, yeah, like so, how you accidentally write Kimba the White Lion and and make it the Lion King. Same there you thing. go. It's all uh, the same. But anyway, just can't wait to be king. An- another example where they're like, you know how we just did all that crazy stuff in the opening with the majestic animals and everything? Let's bring a bunch of animals. Now we're going to have some fun with the animals. It's not even majestic. This time we're going to have some fun. There's going to be elephants everywhere. There's going to be giant plants. And people are going to be, they're going to cr- basically create uh like the old musical swimming scenes of synchronized swimming but with animals coming yeah, like out of call. out of like trees and stuff like that like it's so well done like they animate choreography and yeah. it works so well that's a great call about the it's it's very much in the vein of like the Busby Berkeley style big uh you know swim numbers from the the from those musicals, uh, I've now got the the song up the Wikipedia page for the song. Uh, some of the people who have covered this song uh, include Aaron Carter, of course, uh, but most notably Brian Wilson does a version of this song uh, in uh, in the key of Disney. So I, I would like to hear that. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah, I would actually really like to hear that version, but. Yeah, lovely, fun song. You're right, and it's is that um, you know the same sort of style of like the big showstopper. Whereas this, the, the only difference is it's interesting that this gives us the showstopper, like second song in. Yeah, and really, it's our first post opener song. It's like yeah, it's like we get the showstopper right from the get go. So and it manages to be like 
also like kind of an I want song? Yes, it is the I want song plus the showstopper. Come and on. then like it also moves the plot along because it's it's used as a cover to get away from Zazu. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. So yeah, they do get away from Zazu. It's crazy how how much like goes into just this one song. There's a lot of layers going on in the song. You're right. So they do get away from Zazu as he gets sat on by a rhino and the very for great comedic effect. Uh, they do escape. They head over to the uh, elephant graveyard where everything's a little spooky, a little scary, and then gets even worse when they hear laughter from three hyenas who emerge. Uh, Shenzi, played by Whoopi Goldberg, Bonsai, played by Cheech Merritt, and Ed, uh, who is actually voiced by Disney veteran Jim Cummings. Um, basically, they are telling them, like, uh, they're going to eat them, and they were got caught, uh, and now they're... They're 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 dinner, so they're screwed. They uh, are about to learn a very hard lesson. That is until, of course, uh, Simba tries to roar, can't, and then eventually hears a big roar. But it is indeed Mufasa who then saves Simba and Nala and gets them out of there and had, brings them back home and starts to teach Mufasa, or Mufasa tries to teach Simba a lesson. Um, course that's the part where he says look up at the stars and all that and uh or is that this that's this part right or is that later on i I think i might have mixed it up um yeah i know this is this that that's this part but i I feel like also they reconcile real fast he's like you disobeyed me simba like you could have died like i could have i was really scared and then you know tells him like well it's like that whole thing of like i'm just glad you're okay yeah you're right that's exactly what it is it's like you know if I, if he's alive, I'm gonna kill him. That sort of feeling. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what it is. But yeah, reprimands him and then uh, basically then tells him to always look up at the stars in the night sky, uh, that they will always be there to guide him, uh, as he will even even when he's well. Not it says there. all the past kings of uh, are are the stars basically. Yeah. Just a great score piece. Just yes, mm. that Hans Zimmer score really, really coming into full effect right there. Uh, we go back to the graveyard. Uh, the the hyenas are quarreling with each other. Scar uh, breaks up the fight. Um, he's irritated at the hyenas that he couldn't get the cubs, uh, that he couldn't uh, eat those lion cubs. So he decides to propose a new plan to kill Mufasa and dethrone him in the song Be Prepared. Uh, A much, 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 much better version than the one we get in 2019, obviously. Um, And uh, back to the great tradition that has now been established in three of the four Disney movies. We're back to great villain songs here. Yep. I love this song it is my favorite song in 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 the the musical um by a hair there i love all of these songs yeah. so much uh but i love i was scarred for halloween when i went to disneyland you saw i did the great face paint great i did costume. the face paint and all that um i love this song so much it has the perfect mix of comedy uh great visuals i love the green like what is even the green what is what is that it's I don't know some the depths of hell or something. I yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But I, don't I care. love you know what you know what what 
what frame I love is that final one of him cackling and just the way it looks in the moonlight, him up on that rock with yeah. all the hyenas howling towards him is so cool. And the fact that Disney, Disney would have hyenas goose-stepping through the elephant graveyard. I'm yeah. like, what? What? Like, I almost feel like they they were like, put that in there. And they're like, see if anyone notices. <laughs> that That is the uh, maybe the benefit of being the second movie that's being supervised is that they that stuff went over their head. And then by the time it was done, they're like, well, I mean, it's effective. It's a little on the nose, but it's effective. Yeah, but yeah, it, you're right. Uh, but I love everything about the scene. It, once yeah. again, great set piece, great uh, choreography as far as the way the animals move around each other, uh, the comedy of the call and response with, with the hyenas. This is to me is the funniest the hyenas are is what is when they're in the song. I, I love them in the song. It's, yeah. I think no it's so king, funny. No king. Na, 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 na. Yeah. Yep. Or it's just, or just the beginning. He goes, <laughs> he goes, yeah, who needs a king? No idiots. I will be king. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you mentioned it a little earlier, something I did not know until doing research about this movie so I, I I always knew it's Jim Cummings at the end, uh, who is the voice, of course, of Ed, and uh, again a guy who voices so many characters in Disney history. Winnie the Pooh being uh, yeah, he's one of the he's Winnie the Pooh. He is Winnie the Pooh. If if uh, someone else does the voice of Winnie the Pooh sometime in future, like one day if I have children and I'm watching a Winnie a new Winnie the Pooh project and it's a different voice, which it will be because Jim Cummings is yeah, he's getting he's you know he's age, he's yeah. aging like everyone else does. Um, I know I will be personally very sad as Winnie the Pooh holds a very special place in my heart. So it's, it's like hearing a new version of Kermit every once in a while. It's like but it's I feel, like, but I yeah. never heard another Winnie the Pooh. Basically, that's true. That's I, true. I, but, well, like, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Is like after Jim Henson died, it's like when a lot of people heard the new Kermit. Yeah, like, that's true. Something's off. Um, you know, God, yeah, God bless him for trying. But, uh, but yeah, Jim Cummings is the guy who sings the final verse of the song. And I always just thought, well, Jeremy Irons isn't a singer. And so maybe he just couldn't. They just wanted to get the bright singer for it. But then, again, listening it to it today, I went, there's not, it's not like a key change, though. The notes aren't any higher. So why? And as you mentioned, it's because uh, Jeremy Irons... Threw out his voice after performing the line, you won't get a sniff out of me, which you can kind of hear it. Yeah, um, you can. But that's and, why the that's yeah. why it works. It, it, it's because it sounds so real when he does it. That's yeah. what it is. Uh, and he kept recording. They just kept recording the song, but they realized that he didn't sound powerful enough. So they re-record. Which makes sense. Crazy. Yeah, I would like to hear that original version. I know, huh? I want to. I just want to know. Did they need to do that? Which you know what? And, and to Jim Cummings' credit, who's again a phenomenal voice actor, it's a pretty seamless transition. And for most of my life, I didn't realize that it was a different person. And it's only you know doing the stuff obsessively now that you you kind of notice. I love how the supervising animator Andreas Deha, he was the. The supervising animator on Gaston, Jafar, and Scar. <laughs> He's a, he is the legendary, the villain animator. He's, but then he Hercules? Known. That's interesting. But you know why? Because of Gaston. Mm. They're like, we need the physique of a Gaston, but he's now our main character. Yeah. That's probably why. 
So Scar has schemed this plan. He's going to kill Mufasa. How's he going to do it? Well, the next day, Scar brings Simba to a gorge, uh, puts him near a rock, uh, and tells him that Mufasa is planning this big surprise for him. He instructs Simba to stay there while he goes and gets Mufasa, uh, and even su- suggests, why don't you practice your roar while I'm away? And of course, from just above the gorge, we see the hyenas are standing by as there's a giant herd of wildebeest all waiting for the signal to uh, head to the gorge, basically. Uh, Simba does his little roar, practices it, and then he actually does let one off that's kind of loud and echoes throughout the gorge, which then, of course, sets off the wildebeests. Uh, In the moment from your childhood that scarred you more than anything. um, Hat scarred. Yes. I wish I was that smart. Uh, More scarring, though. This or... See, for 90s kids, this is the one. This is the scene that everybody points to. And that's why, to me, this movie stands head and shoulders above the rest of the Disney Renaissance movies. Because it is the only one that's not afraid to show this kind of thing like this harkens back to the days of Bambi like this harkens back to the time when they're like yeah it's a children's thing but the whole point of the story is 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 to experience loss and grow out of it that is the essential message of all, all these stories it's not about defeating a villain it's about growing into something and being something more than what you are now and that's what this shows as opposed to just like starting off being like Aladdin his parents are dead <laughs> like they're just like, <laughs> like what? Yeah, that's a good point. And it, it, it does. You're right. It harkens back to that era, especially at the beginning of Disney. Where, beginning of a lot, a lot of children's movies, right? Right. But especially when you think of the other stretch of Disney animation that is probably rivals this one, if not is the still the gold standard, the Golden Four at the beginning of Disney animation: Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi. Um, Bambi, of course. I mean, literally, Simba going, Dad, Dad, is is exactly like they just took the scene from Bambi of him saying, Mother, Mother, and, and going around. Uh, Fantasia, obviously, just scared the living shit out of every kid. Uh, and Pinocchio scared the living shit out of me, and I think made me into the little wimpy kid I was. Uh, I would never, ever, ever touch a cigar, ever, <laughs> and turn into a donkey, by God. Never would do that. Uh, so yeah, this movie totally is hearkening back to the days of like it's okay to scare kids a little bit and to to make them if 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 the point is you are going to show them obviously something that is artistically, um, you know, are something that is artistically uh, remarkable or something that is going to teach them some sort of lesson or the character is going to grow and that's what they do in this movie. Also on top of it all. Incredible. The scene has aged remarkably well for a move for, you know, when you hear like great technology for 1994, you know, not every great technology for 1994 has aged well. Hell, Toy Story has not in terms of the actual look of Toy Story has not aged all that well, although uh, the movie has aged remarkably well in terms of the comedy and the the writing is great still. Um, Yeah. But yeah, this looks incredible. It still looks great. It looks looks incredible. And also. Kid acting, phenomenal. JTC, yeah. Do you know the story of the, of the of him recording this scene? Mm-mm. So I remember 
This, I remember this so well. It, it's like burned in my memory. I don't know why this 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 memory of reading about this. Um, so during this scene, they they were like, okay, so what we're gonna do is you're gonna be in the booth recording, and we're gonna have like your mom because she was there to supervise him recording. She's gonna like, like, like pretend she's dying so that like to just to make it easier for you. They're telling him this. She's not like they didn't do this as like a thing, but they were like, oh, she's gonna be like, oh, like a like. So just so you can like picture it in your head, and then that way you can imagine, and then you can kind of you know they're they're you know they're trying to like help the kid out as an actor. Apparently, at, at one point, like he was so into it, he he yelled mom instead of dad. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so sad. That makes me feel bad for the kid. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But oh, I remember wow. that so well. But then, like, you think about it, and you're like, dude, like, it is so heartbreaking. His voice in the scene, and it's like, holy shit! Like, this is it stands up like so well. Even now, like, you watch it, and you're like, oh my god, I'm getting everything about it is 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 well. It's just all perfectly placed and 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 acted, and everything is. The music, of course, of course, is incredible as Mufasa is coming up onto the rock to try to climb up to Scar uh, to get his help. And then, you know, the long live the king and bye bye Mufasa. Also, uh, he's like he's like 11 or 12 when they film this. So it's not like he's like a child child. I mean, come on. Tell- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's one thing if they tell a little if they if they tell like a seven year old, hey, pretend your mom's dying. And he's like, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like in uh, what was it? Meet me in St. Louis, where they told the little girl that uh, we're gonna kill your dog if you don't do this scene right. And they yeah, tried. exactly. I'm just saying, grading on a curve, not that bad. Fair enough. Fair <clears throat> enough. We've seen worse. Yeah. Uh, so yes, Mufasa falls into the gorge, gets trampled by the wildebeests, and he is Ugh. dead. Uh, the, again, uh, the moment we all we all grew up in that moment. The dust settles. Uh, Simba's looking for him. He finds him. Eventually, he cuddles up next to him under the arm. That's always the part that gets me. Scar then basically tells him, you have to leave. Um, yeah. Run away as fast as you can. You can't go back to the pride because you killed your father, basically. Um, yeah. He then tells the hyenas to go after Simba and kill him. Uh, but he does escape. Uh, and Simba is now leaves in the desert as he collapses in a heap also we do see that Rafiki is is watching from a distance he smears the image he had once created of Simba so everybody assumes Simba has died but suddenly a precocious meerkat and warthog charge into him uh, as uh, they save Simba from some vultures uh, as they go bowling for buzzards, as they say, Pumbaa, played by Ernie Sabella, and Timon, played by Nathan Lane. They do discover that Simba is indeed alive, uh, although they're a little frightened as he's as a lion. Um, he's a so- lion. He eats guys like us. Yeah, exactly. Uh they think he's dead at first, but Simba does come back to life, and the, the two decide to go and help him as uh, Pumbaa picks him up as they take him back to their place in this beautiful, like, they live in paradise, by the way. I would take yeah. that. I, I mean, obviously, Simba had to go back to Pride Rock and, and, and save the day and all that, but, like, fuck, man. Why would you leave paradise? Like that's a nice spot, man. You got a nice, you got water there. You got lush greenery. Yeah, unlimited amount of bugs to eat. Why would you leave? It's beautiful. 
it's the best. Uh, Simba thanks him for their help, uh, but he wants to leave. He wants to. He just wants to keep walking. Um, as he as they realize something's really wrong with this kid, and they take a little pity on him, and then just say, "Hey, whatever happened in your past, put it in the past." Hakuna Matata, baby. That's all what it's about. As we get the other song, that uh, this this song is the one that I think the little kids. Uh, me as a little kid, this is the one I think that was on the most frequently was Akuna Matata. Oh yeah, it's it is a silly. It sounds like a silly saying that kids would love to repeat over and over That's and over again. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, a mix of fun funny song. voices as well. Yes, hundred percent. I mean, and again, a reference to farting. Nothing children love more than farting. Or being in the vicinity of farting. Yes. They love it. They love Can't kids get enough love of the farts. farts. We love farts, don't we, folks? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a genuinely fun song and a great... Uh, 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 yeah, I, I love the animation and look of these scenes because it's just so much color and, um, you know, the, all the bugs we see and all the different greenery and animals and landscapes that we see. I love it. And, of course, I love the the... The transition from when he's uh, a child to a teenager to full-grown Simba. The brilliance, not only of the transition visually, but to do a key change. To do it as well. Come on! It all works. It all works in perfect harmony. Yeah, and all of a sudden, adult, super hot Simba shows up. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Paul, also as I'm watching, my cynical mind just went... There's definitely going to be a Disney Plus show about the teenage Simba we see for literally a second. <laughs> definitely Simba the Teenage oh. Years with Timon and Pumbaa is going to be on Disney Plus coming soon. What was the Timon and Pumbaa show? What was that about? Uh, oh, you'll get to that later, Simba. right? You, you have your, your spinoff section. Uh, we won't do that this time because we're going to do oh. something a little different. But okay. uh, that's, pre, that's pre-Simba, but also... I remember that show having a lot of interactions with humans. It almost seemed to take place in its own world, Hmm. separate from the Lion King. That sounds about right. Yeah, which I don't know if I was for that. It was a lot wackier than it was super wacky, like compared to even Lion King. Like even like imagine that show was like, imagine if they took the scene of Timon in the hula skirt and that was the the tone of the entire yeah. thing, right? But that's what you want to look at on a Saturday morning cartoon. That's, right, that's what you want. I remember that's watching it and I was like, this is cool. Yeah, I liked it. I was, I was into it. I was into Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, watch that. A little bit of the, uh, what is a, what's the marsupial guy? Oh, Marsupalami? Yeah, watch Bazzi? a little bit of that. Bonkers? Yeah. yeah, watch a little bit of that. I like watch Bonkers. Yeah, watch all of those, you know? They Bonkers, all fit well. Bonkers, which was apparently a spinoff of Roger Rabbit, but I claim bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Yeah, Just sure. Because it's like there's some Toontown elements of it. Uh-huh, sure. Fine. Anyway. Uh, so, yes, he's an adult now, and now he's voiced by Matthew Broderick. So, 
all is well for old Simba, who has seemed to have moved on and is living the good life with uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Meanwhile, we go back to the Pride Lands, and they are now a deserted wasteland. Uh, the Scar's rule has just decimated the area. Uh, Zazu is in that little bone cage. Uh, our one little joke, every, every movie now gets one little Disney in-joke uh, where Zazu's singing It's a Small World, and then Scar goes, Oh, God, anything but that song. Um, then sing I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. Um, Zazu, uh, let's see, yeah, Zazu is, uh, yeah, in the bone cage, and Scar is, uh, lazily lying about, chewing on bones, and Paul, I do have to reference, what was the video you sent me? Someone did a TikTok where they came to the conclusion that Scar eats Mufasa. Yeah! Dude! He's eating... And I believe it. He's eating a lion skull. Like, he's, he's holding he a lion skull after he's picked the bones of teeth. Mm -hmm. He's picked the teeth of bones, I mean. Excuse me. I said that backwards. My only argument would be, it's been a while since we've seen him. Well, I'm saying he keeps the bones around for posterity. Because he's like... Makes sense. Now, that makes sense. So, we're saying he didn't eat him right then and there. No, I'm saying he ate him before, and now right, he's like... Right, right, right. Now he's just looking at it like, ha-ha, look what I yeah. did to you. yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's a very thorough explanation. Even the skull itself is clearly a lion skull. Um, yeah, it's a little disturbing. Some uh, cannibalism going on with, uh, and, yeah, and it's even, like, they say that, like, lions will eat other lions. The only animal that eats other lions is lions. Yeah. So, in case this movie did not ruin your childhood enough, now yeah. it really has. Um. Yeah, Zazu mentions the name of Bufasa, and Scar, of course, goes ballistic. Don't ever say that name again. Um, Shenzi Banzai. Why did you say that name? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You never. Sorry. Uh, Shenzi Banzai and Ed appear. They're complaining that the food and water have become scarce um, and that all of the lions, all of the, the females, have refused to hunt. Um, Scar suggests that they eat Zazu, but. Uh, once again, we hear Mufasa's name, and then uh, Scar is just, again, super mad again. We go back to the jungle. Simba and Timon and Pumbaa are all lying down together after a meal of slimy yet satisfying bugs as they look at the night sky. I always enjoy Pumbaa saying, what do you think those are? Uh, Timon says, fireflies. And then, oh, I thought they were just balls of gas millions of billions of miles away. Oh, everything with you is a ball of gas. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very, very good. Good joke. Great. Again, the kids. We love farts, don't we, kids? Simba I just love how they're like, basically like, we're just going to have like a vaudeville team in the middle of this movie. Yeah. And yeah, it works. Exactly. It works it so well. Absolutely works. They're the classics for a reason, kids. They ask Simba what he thinks, but uh, he thinks, and he tells them, of course, that the he was told that the lights are the great kings of the past watching over them, as then uh, Timon basically starts cracking up at him as Simba then wanders off and uh, is saddened over the memory of his father he hasn't thought about in a while. Yep. He falls into a bunch of wild flowers. The winds then carry them all the way back to the Pride Lands where Rafiki is sitting atop his tree and he grabs them and he realizes, he smells them and realizes Simba is alive. So he must send out a warning that Simba, or set out a, an alert, Simba 
is indeed alive. Timon and Pumbaa are walking through the jungle after this, and of course, this is the other part where there is more uh, lawsuits afoot. Yes. There is an entire documentary about, I think it's on Netflix, right? Is Uh, it? I think so. I think it's a Netflix documentary uh, about, of course, the artists who the lion sleeps tonight. Uh, Yeah, Solomon uh, Solomon Linda uh, wrote and recorded the original version. Um, And there was a huge, huge uh, lawsuit about money needed to be recouped by uh, the family of Solomon Linda, who composed the original song called Mabubi, uh, originally in 1939. Uh, Eventually, in July 2004, Linda's family filed suit. They sought $1.6 million in royalties from Disney. Uh, They did eventually reach a legal settlement. Wait, so they just didn't even... They didn't even ask. They just put it in the movie. Apparently. So I bet you they asked the original, the people who wrote the song, who who popularized the song in the 60s. Uh, I bet you that's what it is. I don't have that exactly, but I bet you that's what it is. But then the family of Solomon Linda said, wait a minute. He wrote it. We need to get money, too. Yeah. Okay. So, that makes more sense. Okay. Uh, uh, so I was about to be like, what? They came to a legal settlement for an undisclosed amount of money in uh, 2006. So they were just okay. seeking out $1.6 million. And honestly, considering the amount of money this movie made. Oh, yeah. They are lucky they didn't ask for more. But also, it's in there for like 10 seconds, if that. So True. maybe that maybe they realize this is the amount we can't ask for. That like that this this is it. Like we can't ask for much more than that. But even still, give them a little more. Anyway, they're singing the song, um, and then eventually they are faced. They go face to face with a, a lion who is chasing after them, uh, basically uh, about to kill them. Uh, until Simba comes out of nowhere uh, and stops her, but it turns out to be his old friend Nala, uh, now voiced by Mo- Moira Kelly, who, by the way, apparently Matthew Broderick uh, said he had no idea who the voice of Nala was until the premiere of the movie, because he did not do any acting scenes, voice acting scenes with any other actors. Um, and yeah, basically showed up to the premiere and went, oh, you're Nala. Okay. What the world? That's very weird. <laughs> uh, he reveals himself, and Nala is shocked and happy to see him again. Of course, she thought, he's dead. Uh, Simba introduces her to Timon and Pumbaa. Of course, they're not so happy about this whole reunion, as Nala was trying to eat Pumbaa. Uh, Nala tells Simba that everyone in the Pride Lands thought he was dead, of course, after Scar told them about the Stampede. Um Simba asks him, asks her what else Scar told him, or told her, and uh, Nala says that it doesn't matter, and he is the rightful king, and he needs to come home. But there's obviously still some feelings that Simba's working through, and he's he's not quite ready to go home. So, and then of course they try to get to know each other again a little more, try to rekindle what was once there. In can you feel? 
the love tonight as Timon and Pumbaa seem to think something. Timon notices something is yeah. something. Something he something's can, happening here. He can see what's happening. Yes. And disasters in the air. Yeah. Disasters in the air. Um, nearly taken out of this movie. Nearly taken out. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. I love it's also, it. It's also the song, Paul, that this scene, I feel like, explains a lot specifically about the sudden uh, ascension of furry culture. <laughs> specifically, one still of Nala looking at Simba. Yeah, you that's know, a very sultry look for a Disney movie. You know what I'm talking about. Uh that is there's a, a few, look. There's a few things I love in this. Um, you know me from the, our movie podcast days uh, when I would latch on to a very specific way something is said. Something silly like, everyone says, you know, I'm the captain now from Captain Phillips, Phillips but mine is when I hit a fish. <laughs> I don't know why, because but I just think that's the funniest thing in the world. Um, but in this one, the way... Simba goes, uh, the truth about my past, impossible. (laughs) (laughs) The way he whispers things, impossible, for some reason is lodged in my brain. I'll just do that randomly. I'll just be like, impossible. (laughs) She'll turn away from me. That's a good call. I never really thought about it. I thought it was going to be disasters. No, that's great, too. All that stuff's great. But just... This, (laughs) This, <laughs> how can I make her see the truth about my past? Impossible. <laughs> She'll turn away from me. <laughs> uh, oh, so yeah, there's a lot of sensuality in this song. Also, it, it always, I don't know about you, but for me, every time I hear the Elton John, like the actual album version, it always throws me off and surprises me because the lyrics are different. Yeah, what is with that? They're all like they're super different. There's a grand surrender. <laughs> yeah, I. You know what it is? It's it's. He basically encompasses like all the, the themes of the movie, as in like the circle of life and like everything, but into that song. Yeah. And then he like makes it extended with more lyrics and everything. So that's yeah. what it is. Is it, it has like the actual theme, of like, like can you feel the love tonight? Is more like the love of like nature. And everything, as opposed to like a love song, which is interesting, which I kind of like because then it's like two different songs, even though it's the same song. But I don't know. But it is. It just it always throws me every time I hear the Elton John version. Like in my head, I'm expecting something, and then something else happens. A hundred percent in the same boat. It's it always is weird to me to hear the Elton John version. I I never. I'm always. I'm never expecting it, even though I know it's different. Yeah. So. So yes, the two get to know each other again and have a it rekindles this this old flame. Um, and so I think then Nala thinks, "All right, you're coming back. We need you. Everything's in disarray." And then Simba storms off and it's just like, "I can't, I can't ever come back." So he runs off into the meadow r- nearby in the plains. Uh, he hears some singing coming from the tree behind uh, some branches, and suddenly. A baboon, Rafiki, comes out of nowhere, uh, and is what is what does he say? Some banana, squash banana, da 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 da. Yeah, this, this absolute crazed maniac is coming at him. Um, he's convinced his baboon is crazy, um, and Simba turns to walk away when uh, Rafiki reveals that he knows that Simba is Mufasa's son. Um, 
He then runs off, but Simba follows, and he finds Rafiki meditating on the rock uh, to say if he knew his father. And then, of course, he says, no, I know your father. Um, Do you know what this is? Do you notice what this whole scene is basically like a huge homage to? Hmm. It's it's Luke meeting Yoda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. You're right. Yeah. It's like so perfectly like, yeah, he's hitting him in the head. With the yeah. stick, he's got playing dumb. He's playing dumb, just like Yoda does. But he obviously he knows so much more than he does. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, "No, your father is alive, and he's alive within you." He takes him to that little lake, and he looks into the pool and sees he sees Mufasa looking back at him. Uh, One great addition in the musical is that he lives in you part in this, like the extended version of the song we hear with Mufasa and everything. Uh, it's okay. so like uh it's like chanting like he lives in you like it's not just mm-hmm. called that the piece the orchestra will be like they're chanting it and stuff it's so good so well done anyway continue and of course he sees him he sees Mufasa and that leads him to look up in the sky as the clouds sort of separate and he sees Mufasa come out almost like uh going back to sort of the biblical references like seeing the face of God in the sky uh he sees Mufasa come out of a large storm cloud um and then, uh, yeah, saying he's forgotten who he is and then he must return to his frightful place as the true king of Remember pride. who you are. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Simba contemplates the message. Uh, I always liked this part, too. You're right. He hits him in the head. He's like, uh, you know, well, why'd you do that? Well, now it's in the past. Why does it matter? You know, things in the past can hurt, but you have to keep you have to learn. You have to learn from it and then try to say to him again. And of course, he learns from it. So, uh such a well succinct message that a kid understands. It's I, I've forgotten how good that is. It's a you're right. It's such a simple way to express that message of like, you know, you learn from your past. Don't let it. It's okay to hurt, but you have to learn from it, and then yeah. you have to move forward. So Simba then runs off, announcing that he is going back. Nala then wakes up Timon and Pumbaa. She asks if they've seen Simba, but uh, Rafiki appears overhead and declares the king has returned. So they know they got to go back to Pride Rock as Simba is taking his rightful place. Another awesome scene. He's crossing through the desert. The music's swelling. I mean, again, uh, I'm not going to be complaining about how long does it take to get to certain places. Where is he going? Whatever. You, you, You get this incredible scene where he's going through the desert and it looks awesome. So I don't care. I will say my only praise of the the remake is uh the song during this part's good. Oh okay. The the Beyonce yeah, I, song. I, I, I don't think the I... Beyonce song when he's like running back. Yeah. I'm like I- I'm down with that. I'm down with that. <laughs> a broken so, clock right a couple times a day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yes, they go back to Pride Rock. He Simba's there. He also Nala and Timon and Pumbaa catch up and basically are like, "We are here to help. Whatever you need." That's where we get some great comedy, great comedy vaudeville duo, Timon and Pumbaa, Timon in the hula skirt, dancing. Pumbaa so well, th- so great. The roast pig. Uh, they get them to uh, distract the hyenas. I want to say the cartoon, the Timon and Pumbaa cartoon, used that gag a few times. Oh yeah, they milk it. They absolutely milk it. 100%. So silly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, this is where we get the really the big conflict. Uh, we see, I think eventually, uh, we see our first look at Scar, as a, or Simba gets his first look uh, at Scar. 
as he is basically telling Sarabi that they need to go and get more food, but that all the herds have moved on and that their only chance for survival is to leave Pride Rock. And then Scar refuses. Sarabi tries to compare him to Mufasa, and that's where Scar then uh, hits uh, Sarabi. And then Simba basically comes to her aid and realizes, yeah, I think what Mufasa, Scar says, like, I've seen a ghost, a ghost, Mufasa's yeah. alive, you know? Um, again, very Hamlet. Uh, so, but no, it is indeed uh, Simba who has come back and uh, is come to take back his throne. But Scar tries to get him to say... Who killed Mufasa? Oh, it was me. My bad. I I did it. I was a dumb kid. Uh, And then just tries to bring everybody against him. Doesn't really work, by the way. He says, like, yeah, I did it. I I did it. I'm sorry, everybody. And everybody seems to be like, it's okay. We we hate this guy so fucking much. It's it's fine. It's mistakes happen. You were a kid. We you know, or they just know now. Nah, Scar's fucking lying. He's making you say this shit. I don't know. Maybe anyway. Everyone seems to be like, nah. Simba's the guy. We're we're gonna we're gonna. Well, be he like him. doesn't he like force Scar to like admit that he kind of planned it? Mm, it was. It's not until then suddenly there's the struggle, and then when Simba falls over the edge, a la, you know. Oh, that's Scar, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. and then he's like, "Ah, now I can tell you my secret. I yeah. did it. I killed Mufasa, and that's what, of course, compels Simba to jump up." In the middle, we get some we get some good comedic bits. Timon and Pumbaa get to more, do more stuff. Uh, Rafiki goes full on like ninja at one point in in this, uh, but the battle is between Scar and Mufasa, and one of the great final battles uh, of the Disney Renaissance era. Uh, I remember vividly. Uh, when this movie was popular, like a year later, uh, my uncles, two of my uncles uh, at a family gathering, uh, recreated this entire slow motion battle to make all the kids laugh. It was it was a good bit of fun uh, by everybody. It, yeah, the, the the part where they showed in shadow against the rock when they're yeah. fighting against each other. Yeah, um, flames. Is it like a lightning bolt just hits it? Yeah. Like the flames go out through all of Pride yeah. Rock. And even the first time they collide, I remember, I like, to this day, like when my dogs like are play fighting and they both like <laughs> jump up like that, the first thing I think of is 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 you Scar of and, King. and Simba. Yeah, it's so 100%. weird. 100%. Oh, man. So there's a big struggle, but eventually Scar uh, slips away from the fighting. Uh, and is followed by Simba. They meet at the top of Pride Rock. They're surrounded by flames. Scar is begging for his life, um, saying that he's that his family and the hyenas, they're the real enemy. Uh, the hyenas then back away from Scar to try to help. Uh, Simba relents, saying that he's no, nothing like Scar, although there's a moment where he's like, you don't deserve to live, uh, which is a pretty bold statement for a Disney kids movie. <laughs> but hey. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's you know, Scar. He's not a good guy. And he's um, like, you have to leave. Leave forever. Yeah. Says, run away. That's your. That's what you can do. Run away forever. And he said, he repeats the line Scar told him. He said, like, run away and never return. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And then sneak attack. Ah, ash and amber in your face. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it makes me laugh. It's such a, like, uh, you weren't expecting this. Like, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you get some uh, some amber in face, but it 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 doesn't really do much. It's uh, just more fighting ensues. That's the slow motion fighting at that point. Um, Scar manages to knock Simba down and leaps at him, but 
using the technique that Nala had mastered in her pinning, Simba flips Scar with his hind legs over the edge of Pride Rock. And Scar tumbles down the rock face and lands. As he stands up, he notices all the hyenas are surrounding him. And uh, we get our f- a, a wonderful ending of uh, a bunch of hyenas uh, eating our villain alive. Yeah, this is instead of the villain is, you know, falls down a pit and we just dies off screen. Mm-hmm. He basically dies on screen. Yep, he absolutely does. He gets shredded to pieces while he's living. You see, we we literally see him get eaten alive. That's yeah. He, he up dies. there with the most gruesome deaths in Disney history for sure. Yeah, this movie goes there. Yeah, absolutely the most. Like I feel like up to this point, the most gruesome was literally Ursula getting stabbed. But eh, she's like humongous at that point, so it's like yeah. At that point, she's like literally a monster. Right, right. Whereas this is literally this man, this this man, this lion is being torn to shreds. Like yeah, it's pretty gruesome. Anyway, all's well that ends well. He's being torn to shreds, and then the rain comes in, and uh, a giant rock that's apparently on fire. Like that's always confusing to me. It's like how is the rock on fire? (laughs) It's a rock. (laughs) How's it on? I can understand the surrounding. There's some shrubs. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, the rain comes in. It, it washes it all away. The sun comes out. And yay, everything has been restored. The awesome moment where Simba takes his rightful place. The music swells. Uh, and then we get a s- scene similar to the beginning of the movie. Now that all of the everything is back, the circle of life has been restored. We see Nala and Simba are welcoming in their new child, the next new king. Uh, as Rafiki holds it up, we see the child, and the movie comes to a close. So great. It is. The circle, I mean, literally, we, we complete the circle of life with Ch- this film. Chills now, just talking about it, Cody. Chills now, just talking about it. Well, you're welcome. There you go. Chills now, just talking about it. The Lion Love King. Uh, the end of The Aquaman. Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of that trailer. <laughs> yeah. Now available on VHS. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so we have been doing a little happily after happily ever after. You know what? There's a ton of Lion King shit. We talked about the Broadway musical. We talked about Timon and Pumbaa. We could talk about the, the, the what? There's a there's like a Lion King one and a half. Whatever. There's a bunch of them. I, I but, will just say before we go into your into your segment, the 3D version we saw, we both went in with very much like I'm just down to see the Lion King again on screen on the movie theater. Same Don't here. really care that it's in 3D. Who gives a shit? I'm just happy to go see it in theaters again. Yep. And we were both pleasantly surprised by how much we enjoyed the 3D in it because there's just something about seeing 2D animation pop out in 3D that's just different than seeing a CGI movie. It just, 100%. the artistic nature of it just really pops out, especially like the big scene, the wildebeest scene is insane. It was insane in 3D. I think after that scene ended, we were like before the emotional, you know, dad, before that part happens. Joe, we, I remember, I think we like looked, like, looked, like reached forward and like looked at each other, like, damn, like, holy shit. That was amazing. Yeah, um, the will to be scene is very special. And in, the opening the scene, too, with all the animals. Yeah, the circle just, of life looks great. It, surprisingly worth seeing it in 3d it was just yep. amazing i was i was shocked we were at but, yeah. the peak of the 3d sort of like being too inundated with 3d and yet that one stood out and it worked yeah so, absolutely yeah i so, just figured because we talked about it a little we, we should at least mention yeah, it 100 percent. 
So we alluded to this at the beginning of this month that we were going to do a sort of like March Madness style. Like, let's do it. Let's let's actually do this now where we're just going to rank real quick bracket the best songs, not the best movie, but the best songs from these movies. So make it real simple. I'm going to pit on one side of the bracket. We've got The Little Mermaid versus Beauty and the Beast. And on the other side of the bracket, we got Aladdin versus The Lion King. Let's start Little Mermaid versus Beauty and the Beast. The best collection of songs. So we're this is we're, we're judging it as a full piece, like the whole All thing. All of the music. Not not I'm like I said, the movie itself, don't talk about the quality of the movie. I'm just talking about the music. Okay. The movies. Which one's got the best collections of songs? You got Little Mermaid, the one that starts it all. Uh, I, I think I said a bold claim of uh, there may not be a better want song than part of your world. Uh, a great villain song, maybe the best villain song of this uh, of this grouping. Uh, and of course, that great Calypso beats. God, Cody, you you, I thought this would be kind of difficult. But you okay. kind of sold me on Little Mermaid, to be but honest Beauty with you. Beauty and the Beast, of course, okay, is okay. the most classic of the musicals of, that we have here. Belle, what, a, what an incredible opening number, establishes our, our main character, her, her world, the villain, and all of the things she's going to go through. Beauty and the Beast, one, maybe the best love ballad of any of the, of the musicals we've talked about. Another great villain song in Gaston that is so wholly unique to everything. And even... Even maybe the lesser of the songs. The villain gets two songs, basically, in this. Very few get it. And, you know, and then you got Beer Guest. I mean, just a jaunty good time. So, there you go. There's your two choices. Because I've got my choice. But I'll hear yours first. I'm going to go with Little Mermaid. Hmm. See, I was going to go Beauty and the Beast. Oh. So, we're at a deadlock. Uh, and we can't, you know, we could do votes, but come on, we're not going to do votes. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to to phone a friend, and what we're going to do is we're going to have an ar- we're going to have an arbitrary. All right, we have an arbiter. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, let's move on to the second half of the bracket, which is Aladdin. That old street rat, riff raff, street rat, the two, the genie songs. I mean, Friend Like Me, Prince Ali, some of the most fun songs Disney has ever made. Whole New World. I said Beauty and the Beast, maybe the greatest love ballad, but I think Whole New World is probably your best love ballad of this era. And then, of course, we talked about The Lion King, which is some of the most fun songs, the most, some of the biggest variety of songs, Circle of Life, as epic an opening number as any song gets in Disney. Um, Hakuna Matata, an anthem for the 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 lazy, you know, our our generation of lazy millennials for years and years on end. Uh, just a huge, it's just quite. A, I think maybe the most variety of any of the musicals. So, Aladdin versus Lion King. Your point, your vote, Paul. Cody, I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I mean, it's- I'm gonna go with Lion King. Um, yeah, one. Less problematic elements. True. Two. I just feel like if, uh, even if I and I know we're doing overall, we're not doing head to head. But if I'm looking at like, okay, do I want you know the one step da 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 da, or do I want 
you know, I just can't wait to be king. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. So for me, it's just it's just it's kind of a slam dunker to be honest with you. It's yeah, no, you're right, it is, and I love Aladdin, I love the music, but it's the Lion King, it's the pick for me. Okay, so we have our winner, Lion King versus. Do we have a winner yet? <laughs> She's mulling it over. Who'd you text? Stephanie Olson, friend of okay. the show. Awesome. Uh, final answer from her. Beauty. And the Beast. He's got good taste. A so tale go. as old as time. Our final What's funny matchup. is, and I will, re- and I will re- repeat her thought process. I said, not movie quality, just the music. We need a tiebreaker. Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid? Oh, fuck. Mermaid. <laughs> Shit. Maybe Beauty and the Beast. Ugh. Okay, Beauty and the Beast. Final answer. It's the correct answer. It's Beauty and the Beast. Thank you, Stephanie. You are Thank wonderful. You, Stephanie. We Thank love you, you so much. Thank you for your service. Yes. So, Beauty and the Beast, the, like the most classical musical style of Disney animated movie that we've covered, versus The Lion King. Much more. In the, there's some pop songs, some epic quality. You know, there's again, like I said, variety. It's a lot of variety, a lot of choice there. This is this is incredibly tough, and it's probably the two that it should come down to. These are probably the the crown jewels of this era. Is Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. My vote personally is Beauty and the Beast. But I could okay. be swayed. But right now I'm my gut saying Beauty and the Beast. Okay. I mean the Lion King. I mean the opening. I know. It's just amazing. Alone. The opening alone. Uh, the songs are so catchy. The songs are so well done. But this is a movie musical podcast. And I can't believe I'm going to do this. But if I were to say which of these is a better movie musical soundtrack. You're so happy about this. It's... It's 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 beauty. It's it's beauty and the it's it's <laughs> it's it's beauty and the beast. It's beauty and the beast. Yeah, I think it's the right choice. It's close, but uh, I think it's the strongest one. There's not there's not a bad one in the bunch. There really isn't. They all work in perfect harmony together. They and people all... might say, Paul, you didn't even vote for Beauty and the Beast in the first round. Baby, matchups. Baby, I'm matchups. Like, baby, I'm like the wind. I go where I blow. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so there you have it. Our our scientific uh, method of figuring this out, we have determined that the finest of the top four Disney Renaissance movies, in terms of musical quality, is indeed Beauty and the Beast. It was a tale as old as time, so I, I would hope so. You know? Yeah. There to you say go. the least. So, Paul, it is with this that uh, we say farewell for this podcast and uh, an announcement here that uh, for farewell, ta-ta for now, uh, we are going to be going on hiatus. Uh, I say hiatus as we open up the possibility that we could come back at any time we want. A hiatus can mean we're gone for next for only a week. Who knows? But, uh, you know, life happens. Uh, time has become uh, more... Uh, 
valuable, not valuable, that's not the right word, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's harder to come by time. Time is of the essence, you know? Time uh, has become scarce. Time, thank you. <laughs> Can't find the word. But uh, it's been incredibly fun to be able to do this podcast and be podcasting with you again, Paul, because it's, 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 always, it's always fun. I always enjoy doing this with you. Always um, a pleasure, never a chore, I'm sure. Whether it was the Screen Watchers <laughs> Guild, whether it was this, and it's fun to, to talk about musicals and to entertain ourselves. And we hope that you were entertained if you're listening out there and uh, we gave you some joy listening to this podcast we appreciate it. We thank you. But like I said, it's it, it, we're uh, if if time if, if we get some more time freed up in the future, love to keep doing it again. But until then, we'll be on hiatus. But if you do want to check out some of our old episodes, uh, we would love for you to do that. MovieMusicalPod.com. You can subscribe. Um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're there. We got all the podcasts there. A whole archive of podcasts we've done. Uh, this is our 40, 41st episode of this, so we've got a lot of uh, content already at your disposal. So um, you can check us out there in the fu- for now and then for some future updates if we do indeed get this thing raring to go again. Uh, but in the meantime, we really do appreciate you guys listening, and um, it was a lot of fun to do this uh, for this weird, bizarre year we've had. So yeah. uh, in the meantime... You can follow us at Move Musical Pod, Facebook, all that for future updates and all that good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody Pasby. I'm at the Paul Ponte on Twitter, Instagram, paulponte.com uh, for my other projects and stuff, uh, photography, music, all kinds of things. And listen to the Indie Handshake. Paul has got a great wrestling podcast. Let's go places, folks. So listen to that. So It's fun. Until we meet again, I'm Cody Pasby. I'm Paul Ponte. And we will see you down the Yellow Brick Road.